this week. Now think for a second. This may be, I, I may be going to dangerous waters here. But think for a second, if this Independence Day, this nation is not so independent. Think that, think about the fact, think about the fact that there is a different country's flag flying over this nation. That we are in fact oppressed. Taxes are out of this world. That's somewhat of a reality, but... Uh, <laughs> Think for a second if that was just not this year, but that was more than 400 years had taken place. Think about the fact that you are God's chosen people. God did actually speak to you. He actually gave you a, a law. He actually wanted you to build a temple in his name so that you could worship him. But now another country oversees everything. Imagine that the Congress building is the temple. But really, there's another God that oversees it all. This nation who rules over you. Again, 400 years have taken place. And there's talk of this this one who would eventually come and he could bring independence again to our nation. And then there have been prophets, prophet after prophet, who have talked about this, this coming of this, this one who would bring independence. And perhaps this week, this Independence Day, he would bring independence to our nation once again. What would it be like? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. And it's somewhat of a backdrop of what we are going to look at in the passage today. Because to the Jew, much like I just described, there have been hundreds of years that they have not, in essence, flown their flag of their proud nation. They had no king in place. And there was the great mighty nation Rome oppressing them and ruling over them. And there was talk that there was this, this Messiah would come and bring independence. And he, he, would, he would set up a kingdom that would last forever. This is the backdrop of what we're looking at today. Luke chapter 17 Verse 20. Now, at one point, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are really into uh, trying to understand the Messiah. They, they've got it down to a science. And they asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or by your careful observation. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right under your eyes. 
Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Then people will say to you, Look, there he is. Look, here he is. Don't, do not go out and chase after him. For just as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, we say a lot of lightning this week, didn't we? Pretty obvious. So will the Son of Man in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it was in the days of Noah, so too will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage right up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just in the days of Lot's, People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same when the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone who is on the roof with his goods in the house must not come down to take them away. And likewise, the person in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there'll be two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding grain together, and one will be left, one will be taken and the other left. And the disciples said to him, Where, Lord? And he replied to them, Where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. And it really is a context of what I just described. People anticipating the Messiah who would, who would establish, reestablish this great kingdom of Israel once again. And there were all of the signs that, that they were looking for, all of the checklists that they were looking for to see, okay, when is he going to return? So it makes sense that the Pharisees kind of go through their checklist and they're trying to figure out, is Jesus the one or is there someone else? But Jesus doesn't seem to match all of the checklists that they have in mind. So they're going on to someone else or thinking that he obviously can't be the one that is coming. But Jesus has talked about the kingdom all throughout, and we've read the of Luke already up to this point. He's talked about the kingdom over and over and over. Many different ways and parables. And again, the Pharisees look at Jesus and his resume doesn't match the Messiah's. It doesn't seem to be the same. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't, don't look at all of the signs. Don't do your checklist because you know what? The kingdom is right here under your nose. You just got to open your eyes. You got to open your heart. You've got to see that the kingdom is right here. Don't look for the signs. Why? You can't even figure this out if you try. And isn't it true of man? We want to we try to figure it all out. But God says, and, and we'll explore this more as we dive into this, you can't figure it out. It's going to come when it's, when it's unexpected. It's right under the nose. 
know, husbands, we, uh, we sometimes go for drives. We think we know where we're going. And we drive by landmarks. I don't know about you, but I drive by landmarks. So there's a nice restaurant that we want to go to, and I, I'm thinking, I, I know where I'm going, honey. I perfectly have it all charted out. I know the landmarks to go this, 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 this. But when you start driving and it's at night, it's a little different appearing. Of course, you, you don't want to use your GPS. That's just for real emergencies. We don't use maps anymore. And you would never want to stop and ask any directions because you know where you're going. But you, you're, you make your way and you're driving. And you actually pass the restaurant. This has never really happened to me, but... Uh, And your wife may say, isn't that the, no, because we need to go here, because this is the landmark that we need to turn at. And it's kind of comical that we can go right past things in life, and they're right under our noses. And in essence, that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You can drive right past things, and it's right there. You just have missed all of the signs. And in all of this religion, you've missed me. You've missed Jesus. You've missed the kingdom. Because the kingdom is more internal. And the kingdom is personal. And Jesus turns to the disciples in reference to the previous questioning about the kingdom. And he talks about this son of man. It's not the first time that Jesus has referred to himself as the Son of Man. If we read in, in Daniel chapter 7, we get a context of a great scene of judgment in Daniel chapter 7, where people are brought before the Ancient of Days. That's referring to God. And these great books are opened. And the Son of Man comes in the clouds of heaven, and he approaches the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and the kingdom that is not will never be destroyed. Again, he goes on and he talks about this great scene of judgment. So Jesus is saying, kingdom's already here. The Son of Man is here. And he's going to come back again a second time. And when he comes, in the context of this passage, we're all going to know it. We're all going to see it. And from generations to generations, there have been times, and perhaps you've heard them, the end times are coming. All of the signs are here. 2000, when we, when we turned, the, it, it was like something's going to happen. People are stocking up supplies. All of the signs are there. The, the computers can't handle the change. So surely God is going to uh, come back. For hundreds of years, people have tried to guess when Jesus would return. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but I'm like, let, let's, let's, not, let's not spend all of our energy trying to figure out when he comes because he, it's not, we're not going to be able to do it. The Pharisees tried here, and they couldn't do it. We are not going to do it. And over and over, 
just says, Jesus says to himself, I don't even know. That, that's up to God. So if Jesus himself doesn't, doesn't know, then let's, let's not figure out. The point here today that I want us all to understand is that we need to be ready. The kingdom of God is here. Are we ready? It'll be obvious when Jesus comes back. You can't stand in the, in the middle of a lightning storm and miss it. We've had a lot of lightning over the last few days. You can't miss it. It'll be obvious. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Every eye will see him. It will be obvious. The question today is whether you're ready. And that's the title of the sermon, Ready or Not. See, whether or not you'll be ready for Jesus' return really comes down to a question of your desire and what you really desires. I only have one point again today. Don't you like preachers with one point? Pretty simple. Doesn't mean it's necessarily any shorter. But we like to fake you out. One point makes it easy. So it is, it is easy. What is your desire? And whether we're ready or not for Jesus' return really will come down to what we truly desire. You know, when we're, when we're passionate about something, when we have desire for something, we're typically pretty motivated, right? You want to run a marathon. You have a passion to finish a marathon you, and you have a passion about it, a desire, you will go into strict training so that you can finish the marathon. Diets, exercise, all of these things, when we get passionate about it, when we get true desire for it, we go after it. Academics will sacrifice sleep. We'll sacrifice going out with our, our, our friends and and. and party because we understand that I've got to sacrifice to get good grades. Dating relationship. Boy, we'll make great sacrifices to win that uh, guy or girl. Parents make great sacrifices for the desire to see their children go to college. Jesus says, you know, you'll desire someday to see the Son of Man coming. And he's talking to his disciples. But you're not going to see that happen. And I think he's referring to a time in their lives where at the crucifixion and following the crucifixion, wouldn't you, if you were a follower of Jesus, go, man, I, 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 I hope he comes back right now. They had this desire and this passion. Perhaps in, in months that, that went, to, went ahead. And Jesus returns to heaven. And things are getting tough. And there's persecution. Would they not desire for his return? And so the early church had this passion and this desire for the second coming of Jesus, for the return of Jesus. Why? Because they were going through intense persecutions and challenges. And they're like, please, God, come back we have a desire for his return 
Jesus' return was very strong in the early church. And a lot of the New Testament letters re refer to this fact that he will come back. Get yourself ready. So this passage teaches us what will happen. The question is, are you ready for his return? We won't miss it. When's it how is it going to come? Just like in the days of Noah. You know, it took Noah roughly 120 years to build that ark. People were probably wondering what was going on. Doing their own thing. Little knowing that there would be a judgment that was coming upon them. And this passage talks about they're just, they're, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're, they're eating, they're just, life is happening until all of a sudden Noah is shut up in the ark and it begins to pour. Imagine we've had some torrential downpours even over these last few days. Imagine if that keeps going and going and going. And now you're looking across at this boat. I'm sure there's people clawing at it, trying just to, to, to get in. But it's too late. Judgment has come. You know what it says of Noah? It says he desired righteousness. He desired righteousness and he lived blameless and he walked with God. He had a relationship with God that saved him. So what was Noah's desire? It was God. And he took, again, almost 120 years to build that boat. <laughs> That's some desire, too, to, to be obedient. A few nails uh, hitting your thumb with a nail and you want to quit. He just kept going. Lot. You know, we criticize Lot a lot. as he's called to kind of flee Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's hesitating. And, but here's what it says in 2 Peter. Lot was a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men and was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds of what he saw and what he heard. Before we get all over his case, there was an understanding that he did not like even what he was living in. And he had a desire. What was his desire? It was for righteousness, and it was for purity. And so the question I have for us as we talk about being ready is, what do you desire today? Like Noah, do you desire a walk with God? A relationship with God? Or is it just simply religion? Going to church is good. No one is going to be saved going to church. We will be saved when we have a walk and relationship with God. And, and being at church 
is simply an opportunity for us to be together with people who want a relationship with God. And so therefore we spur one another, we help one another in what? So that we can have a relationship with God. So that we can walk with God. How captivating is your relationship with God to you today? Be honest with yourself. How much desire do you have to get up in the morning to, to, to spend time with God? To open your Bible or to read a spiritual book that helps connect you with God. How, how much desire and passion do you have to do that? What about, what about Lot? Righteousness and purity, dealing with sin, and, and getting, getting, helping others see your life and dealing with your character. What is your desire? And all through this passage, there is this theme of desire. Another part of this passage talks about the desires that will cause us to turn our backs to the world and away from God. Picture this year, you know, in the, uh, in the New Testament times, they often went up on their roofs that were flat, especially in the evening, and it's, it's the cool of the day would be a great place to chill. You're on your roof, but then judgment is coming. You have a desire to go down and kind of save those things that are precious to you those sentimental things, those memories, those things that you cherish. But what does Jesus say in this passage? Don't go back. You can't take it with you. He knows how much we are attached to those things. He knows our desires to go run down and grab them. But I tell you, yesterday we had a tornado warning. I can guarantee you if there was really a tornado that had touched down, you wouldn't be running around your home to gather all of those things. You would be saving yourself. You would be getting ready. And that is Jesus' point. There's a storm coming at some point. Don't worry about kind of gathering all of your possessions. Worry about saving yourself. So when the storm hits... That's what's really going to matter. And don't look back. Three words in this passage that would bring kind of a chill to a Jew's heart and mind. Remember Lot's wife. They would know that, they would know that story very vividly. They would bring an image to their mind of someone who turned back she was fleeing with her husband, Lot, out of the city, told not to look back, told to keep going. But she looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt, forever an image of those who turn back to the world. Jesus has warned even earlier in chapter 9, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back. You're not fit. But this is a stronger warning here. It's one thing to be plowing and kind of look back. It's another thing to look back and get destroyed. Jesus brings a pretty strong warning here to say, don't, don't, 
don't look back because it will it will bring your destruction it's a tragedy to be almost saved that's the message of, of, of Lot's wife it's a message of almost saved I remember very kind of graphic pictures may not remember this, but in uh, a tsunami in uh, December 26, 2004, I think 250,000 people died. 250,000. I remember some scenes of, of, of uh, in, in Thailand, I believe it was. They were in these gorgeous, beautiful resorts. I mean... Have all you want. And this tsunami comes in and just in, in a matter of, of minutes, all of that beauty, all of that is totally, totally wiped out. But what I remember graphically is some images of, of, of a husband and wife. It was an older couple. And, and, and the woman being torn from his grasp by all of the debris by all of the things that were coming through the tsunami, and she was almost saved. But the tsunami swept her away. And it's a graphic image, I believe, of what Jesus wants us to understand today. Is that all of the world, you can be in Thailand and in the best place, but a tsunami is coming and will wipe everything out. Will you be ready? It'll be a tragic thing to be almost saved. To be there and have the grasp of salvation ripped from you. And I don't know why Lot's wife looked back. Perhaps it was the relationships that she used to have. And she couldn't bear the fact that some of them, they were, they were being destroyed. Perhaps it was the things that she was attached to that she, she wished she had gotten and gathered before she left. I don't know. And I don't know what it is for you that causes you to be distracted by the things of the world. Jesus warns us that in this passage, we try to save our life. We try to hold on to those things that kind of we really, really, really desire. We'll lose our life. So he wants us to let go. Then you'll find life. You don't want to be like in the tsunami that you're clutching kind of the possessions going on your way to destruction. Trying to hang on. And you know, another thing that I see from this passage, this is kind of not a pick-me-up sermon, is it? I can tell it's always like, this, these kinds of sermons, it's often very quiet. And, and, and I appreciate that. Hopefully it's because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about this, you're, you're, you're reflecting on it. 
again, it's, it's one of those sermons where you go, wow, this is, this is deep stuff. This is heavy. But it's Jesus' word, and he wants us to understand this. And we've got to grasp, I mean, sometimes this passage, I'm doing a little ad-libbing here, sometimes this passage seems so difficult. You know, why, why does he talk about this and lightning and vultures and all this kind of stuff? What, what, what is that? To me, the vultures are just simply, when you see them buzzing around, you know that there's a dead carcass there, right? It's, it's obvious. You know something's happening. When lightning's coming, you know there's a storm coming. It's, all Jesus is saying by these little analogies is that it's gonna, you're, you're going to know. You see the vultures? Something's dead. So when you see when when I'm returning, you'll know. Don't don't worry about that. Just get yourself ready. That is the again, anything you hear today, get yourself ready. Make sure you're dealing with the desires of your hearts. But another thing that I see in this passage, so you're with me? Awesome. One thing I also see in this passage is that as awesome, I mean I, my wife is amazing. She's such an incredible strength to me in so many different ways. She's such a godly woman and helps me be a godly and spiritual man. But you know what? When it's all said and done, she does not get me there. She helps. And this passage says that, hey, there may be some of you kind of, you're laying in the same bed. You're married. One of you is taken. The other stays. What is that analogy of? One is saved. One is not. And what I see from this passage is that we can't ride on the coattails of someone else. I, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for my wife. But she's not going to get me to heaven. And when he returns... I pray that we both go together. Not one of us is torn from the other. And one is brought to judgment. Or friends. Hanging out together. Going to the mall. Cooking. Playing, you know, disc golf or surfing or, or whatever it is. One of you will be on your surfboard and the other one is gone. <laughs> Here's the other thing, is our friends can't do that either. Our coworkers can't do that. We're all going to stand alone before God. And then what will be shown is what, is our, what are our true, real desires. That is what is going to be separated one from another. Did we live for the desires of this world? And again, even those closest to us can't save us. It comes down to you. And so you this morning, what do you really desire? Will you desire his return because you have a relationship with him? There are times when, in my life where I know living in some compromise of my discipleship, I did not want his return. Truth be known, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know where I, I stand. Let me just say that's not a fun place to live. And that's not a place where we're meant to live. 
We're, we're meant to live with confidence. We're meant to live with security. We're meant to live with Jesus. You can come back at 10.23, which is right now. But I wonder if you could stand up and go, come back, come back, Jesus. Come back right now. I'm ready. Or you've lived your life with compromise this week. You lived your, your life in, in, in not seeking God, not desiring God. You lived your life living in sin. I want to say something just to preface this. It's, we're, we're not talking about, okay, one sin, and then all of a sudden the grace of God is, is, is gone. Some of us think that way, too. That there's no room for grace. Oh, I messed up. Oh, no. That, that's, again, that's not the place God wants us to live, either. God wants to look at what do you desire? Do you desire me? That, that he will sift very clearly. He will know. What do you, do you desire me? Okay, yeah, you messed up here, but I know your heart. I know your desires are for me. I know your desires are purity. Yes, you sin. You with me on that when you understand? I don't want us to live insecurely that way. On the other hand, if you're not right with God, you need to have some urgency. You need to have some sense of, I need to get right. I need to do whatever it takes. If you know you've been compromising, you need to, you need to do whatever it takes. Will you desire a relationship with God? Will you live righteously? Will you deal with sin? Think about the things... Are there things in this world that are kind of you're holding on to? That career. Is that, is, that a, is that a, do you desire that more than, than times with God and with his people? You know, make the decisions today, all of us. Make the decisions to get right with God today. Make the decisions to, to be to desire God, because the Son of Man, this passage says, he is coming back, ready or not. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to rationalize away, surely this is, you know, it, it can't be this time. But get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Because when he comes back, what you desired in life what you pursued in life and what even pulled you back in life will be shown for what he is, for what it is in your life. So ready or not, here he comes. Will you be ready? Amen.